How's it going, my fellow history scholars? Welcome back to the podcast where we talk about the unanswered questions of history and unravel the mystery of the many questions we ask about our past. All right, before we begin today, uh, we got multiple people on today. Uh, we're trying some new stuff with the technology, and uh, we actually have multiple people. So, Ian and Jack, you guys want to say hi? Hello, everybody. Hello. All right, and hopefully you guys can hear him. All right, so give you guys a few reminders before we get back into our series on the Civil War and Confederate treasure. Uh, first, I want to remind you guys that you can check the Facebook page for information on the episodes as well as to ask questions and to stay up to date on the information concerning the podcast. Don't forget to show your support for this podcast by donating on, a, donating on our Anchor website, the awesome podcast server we use to make all of these episodes possible. And we really couldn't have done it without Anchor. It's been a good source besides a few technology issues that we've had along the road. All right, like I said, today we're going to be talking about the lost Confederate treasure. And uh, it's a topic that was actually recommended to us by somebody on our Facebook page. So if you guys ever have uh, questions or comments or you guys want us to talk about something, feel free to ask because uh, this was based off a listener's question. So always, if you guys have an interest, feel free to share it with us. And uh, that Facebook page has been like the epicenter for uh, a lot of our podcast stuff. So make sure you're checking that as well as listening on Spotify or whatever other platform that you guys use. So uh, I think this is a really interesting topic. We got into uh, the Civil War last time, and we kind of concluded with uh, the end of the Civil War, and we started talking about the KGC, but we uh, we didn't get much into them. And today, that's really what we're going to start getting into, and especially stuff with uh, the Lincoln assassination, which happened not too long after the Civil War actually ended. So I think it should be interesting, and uh, hopefully you guys will be able to hear uh, Ian and Jack on the other end as well. Oh, yeah, guys, uh, just to recap, we're going to be talking about the Knights of the Golden Circle and uh, how they influenced the Lincoln assassination and a bunch of other uh, historical topics. Yep, this was a really interesting group during the Civil War. Really, uh, you look at them and uh, you compare it to uh, the history that we know from the books and stuff, and uh, it really surprises you how much of an influence they had and how much... Uh, stuff they actually did behind the scenes that a lot of us don't realize and that we're not told about in our average history class. So, if you guys don't have anything else to say, uh, we'll get into it. Sounds good. Alright, let's do this. Uh, Alright, we're here. We're going to talk about the Lincoln assassination. Uh, most of you know this as uh, assassination while he was at the theater and he was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth and a few other um, and a few other men but uh, in reality there's much more than that and a lot more influence than that and uh, that's what we're here to reveal today well yeah I think the generic assumption is that Booth was the only one that plotted the Lincoln assassination but that's really definitely not the case there were several men and several people who were actually going to be assassinated that night so it was a uh, it was a lot more involved and a lot more interesting than a lot of people might like to claim it is. And, uh, was there anyone else assassinated aside from Lincoln? Well, they were going for Secretary of State Seward, and then uh, I think they were going for Vice President Andrew Johnson as well at the time. So those were the three people, Lincoln, Johnson, and uh, Stewart. So how do you think it would have changed things if, he had, if they had successfully assassinated all three of those people? That would have been interesting because your idea was to cut the head off the snake. So they were going to kill the three three people that were leading the United States at the time. Because you got to take in mind that if Lincoln had died, it would be Johnson who would take his place. If Johnson died, it would be Stewart who took his place. Stewart died, it kind of went into chaos. So if they knocked out all three, that's what they were going for. It was that chaos. So yeah, so they're, they're, they're practically attempting to reignite the Civil War. Well, yeah, definitely, easily. And uh, considering some of Booth, Booth's background, it uh, really doesn't make... It, it really doesn't seem that far off, especially with his ideas, and we'll get into that. Yeah, it really makes you think. Was it, wasn't Booth uh, a famous actor at the time? Oh, yeah. He was very well-liked by people. Yeah, he definitely yeah, he was. was. Very, he was 
it's very interesting how driven uh, someone can be. And he's, he was a famous actor at the time, and you don't see very many actors running for president or assassinating <laughs> president. <laughs> said running for president. Ronald Reagan, I mean, come yeah. on. I mean, yeah. Let's be, let's be Kanye West <laughs> for president. Hey, the the guy we got in office right now is a big businessman, so I mean, it's not that far off. Yeah. I, uh, Kennedy was an actor, I believe, too. Yeah, it's, it's weird to think about how um, how influential actors and stuff have been when when it's like so difficult politics that you wouldn't think would go well uh, go with like acting, but I guess they're famous enough, so maybe that gives them power in, in and of itself. Yeah, well, I think it's because of their background on the stage and the. You got to take in mind that the actors, uh, it's it's very easy to talk to people. It's very easy to do public events. So, uh, yes, Ian John Wilkes Booth was an actor, but no, he did not run for president. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <but> yeah. <laughs> All right. Get in, get into some background with uh, John Wilkes Booth. So John Wilkes Booth was actually born in 1838 in Maryland to a family of notable actors, and uh, he ultimately made his career like uh, his other family members as an actor. And uh, one of his most famous remarks was actually in Shakespeare's play Richard the Third, and that took place in Baltimore in uh, 1855. And uh, although having Confederate sympath sympathies. Booth stayed up, or uh, sorry, stayed in the North during the Civil War. So uh, he had ties with uh, the South and the Confederates, but he stayed in the North during this time because he was born up there. He was born in Baltimore. So he didn't really have any reason to move down South. Uh, however, as the war entered its final stages, he and several associates hatched a plot actually to originally kidnap President Lincoln and take him to Richmond, the Confederate capital. So uh, their original their original plan actually wasn't even to wasn't even to assassinate Lincoln, but to but to kidnap him. So it's pretty interesting. And uh, as we'll as we'll see, I think we'll talk about it a little bit later. This wasn't the first time that uh, people tried to uh, assassinate Lincoln, and uh, this wasn't the first time people tried to kidnap him either. We talked about the Gettysburg Address and. Uh, the Emancipation Proclamation and later, later the 13th Amendment that would be passed with all this legislation. Uh, Lincoln had a lot of hatred that was going towards him that, at this time. And uh, a lot of people, especially in the South, didn't like some of the stuff he did. But even in the North, there were people who disagreed yeah, like with him. You're talking about the Emancipation Proclamation and uh, how it freed slaves in the South in the Confederacy, which was its own independent country. So ultimately, he only enraged the South more, and uh, he ultimately didn't free those slaves as he thought he would. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he made so many enemies with the Emancipation Proclamation. You would think that he would be supported by the North, but even the North was upset with this, um, with this his executive order because of how much, uh, how, how, how much it enraged the South and how much, uh, how much anger it brought towards the North. So it's like it's like the North didn't want him to start uh, to enrage the war any further. Yeah, pretty much. Right? Much like much like um, many other executive orders you see, like uh, like Medicare or, or Trump's executive orders to like uh, to to protect the country with like bombings and stuff like that. Build a wall. <laughs> yeah, it's like. So he wasn't supported by the North, even though it was a Northern ideal to end slavery. Yeah, just like interesting with, to me. Yeah, it is interesting. I think uh, just like with any president, too, uh, you're going to pass legislation that some people like and some people hate. That's just part of the job. You're going to have the lovers and the haters no matter what you do. And that that was right, especially gonna, true with the uh, office of the president. Yeah. Sorry, you can go. No, you're fine. I was just saying, no, I was agreeing with you. You're never going to make any, everyone happy. Yeah, exactly. So on March 20th, 1865, the day of the planned kidnapping, Abraham Lincoln failed to appear at the spot where Booth and his six fellow conspirators were waiting for him. 
This foiled their abduction plan, and it ultimately only made them more desperate. Especially considering two weeks later, Richmond fell to the Union forces, and on April 9th, General Robert E. Lee surrendered at Appomattox Courthouse. Growing desperate, Booth came up with a more sinister plan to save the Confederacy, and thus the assassination of President Lincoln. So we were talking about the... We were talking about Appomattox last time and how the Civil War ended when uh, Lee signed the signed the papers to to Grant, and uh, up to that point, the Civil War had been really bloody. The Battle of Gettysburg wasn't really that far off in the past at this point, and uh, ultimately, uh, some people thought that Lee's surrender was actually in- inevitable. And that uh, it was it was going to happen eventually. They just didn't know exactly when. So it was interesting here that uh, because of that, actually Booth was influenced, and uh, it makes sense as a Confederate sympathizer that he would want to keep the the movement going. But uh, he he wasn't the only one. He he definitely wasn't the only one that had these views. And uh, among him and his six fellow conspirators were also tons of other people who. Uh, who saw that even though Lee surrendered, there may be still be a chance that the, the Confederacy could keep fighting the war and uh, that they didn't need to surrender. And so that's why they tried to plan the assassination of President Lincoln, because like we were talking about, if you cut the head off the snake, then the rest of it should fall. But I don't really think that was the case, and it didn't go as well as he thought it was. <laughs> yeah, like, you're, like you said, you mentioned that he was, he was playing this for much longer than... Uh, than I originally knew. It took place over the course of several months, the, the kidnapping plan, and then the failure of the plan, and then, and then the plan to assassinate him as well. So this wasn't like an in-the-moment kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. They uh, This took so this a lot like of planning. A, so this was like a well-devised sinister plot against the president with like multiple people. Yeah, they had their plan A and their plan B here. Plan A, kidnap the president, or Plan B, kill him. And uh, obviously, we saw that he they went with Plan B. Mm-hmm. But being and, real, if if they did kidnap him, he probably would have died either way. Yeah, that seems a little bit inevitable, I guess. But uh, I think there's been other kidnappings throughout history that proved uh, proved different than that. I think there's been uh, key leaders who have been kidnapped and held as ransom. So I think that was another possibility. That's a good point. So they, yeah, that would be interesting. So, so their original plan was to kidnap the president, and they weren't even planning on killing him. So what would they? What was their goal of of, of kidnapping him to like remove leadership? But like in in doing so, you eventually have to kill him anyways. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they were gonna kill him, or maybe even hold him for ransom. I'm sure it was one of the two. Yeah. Either way, it's still pretty evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Oh wait, actually, I want to mention something. We were talking about the kidnapping of Lincoln. There was a, uh, and this was quite a bit down the road. It was uh, in the in the early 1900s, and uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a. Uh, Lincoln's grave or uh, Lincoln's monument yeah. on his grave, but it, it had a conspiracy to do with that. Have you guys been there? I have, I have not. Have you noticed how uh, how open the area was when you were there, Jack? Yeah, I did, actually. It has, like, that huge just, like, front lawn that kind of just sits in the front of it. Right. So it was, uh, it, it was very unprotected and so uh some grave robbers actually during this time and counterfeiters because counter counterfeiting was huge at this time they actually were able to pull off uh the kidnapping of lincoln's body and they tried to hold it for ransom and i i mentioned the lincoln's grave and uh how open it was because they were they were able to get away with this almost uh until obviously they were finally caught but uh, they, they got away with it for a while because the area is really just not as well protected as you think it would be for a president's grave. Wow. And, I never uh, knew that. Yeah, it's interesting. So if you guys ever get to go there, actually, it's, it's a really cool thing. 
that they have there. He's under. Yeah, he's in this tomb underground now, but uh, originally they had his body above ground, and I think that's actually right, still right. the same for uh, some of his family members. I think some of his family members yeah. are built like almost into the wall. Their coffins are put inside the wall, so they're above ground. So yeah, that was interesting. And then uh, we'll get into uh, another another thing here. Actually, believe it or not, this was not the first attempted assassination of President Lincoln. After his election in 1861, yeah, conspirators planned to assassinate him while changing trains on his journey from Springfield to Washington, D.C. And this was during his inauguration. They were already trying to plan to kill him. Wait, so before... So before he was even officially a president, they were trying to assassinate him? Yeah. Like, literally from oh. the journey from Springfield in Illinois to Washington, D.C., they already had an assassination planned. Well, I'm surprised he made it as far as he did. Right? I, I mean, that's imagine. not completely out of the realm of possibility. I mean, look at uh, the, the Kennedy, who was it, Robert Kennedy, I think, who was running for president, but he mm-hmm. was assassinated before he could, Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, John F. Kennedy's brother. Yeah, it's interesting. It's before you're even in office, people are already trying to kill you. That's crazy. Right. And it makes you wonder why anyone would even want to go into politics. Right. You're just gonna make you make so many enemies. So right. So many enemies so quickly just for having beliefs. That's why yeah, politician exactly. is not on one of my dream jobs. It was only once Secret Service agents caught wind of this plot that a plan was formulated to protect him. Lincoln actually went into Washington, D.C. ahead of schedule, and he was disguised under a cloak. Nobody was aware of the president's arrival, which, which was supposed to be grand until he delivered his State of the Union address. However, the president's safety was uh, on the top of the priority, and he eventually made it to office, obviously. So that was right. interesting. He, uh, he went on this, he went on a different train. Uh, he went ahead of schedule, and uh, nobody even knew he was in Washington, D.C. until he gave his inaugural address. Wow. So how did they, how did they, uh, how did they know he was going to be assassinated? I believe a secret service agent caught on to the plan that they had caught wind of it. They heard about it. And so they had uh, warned some other secret service agents to formulate a plan to protect the president against it. That's interesting. Yeah, isn't that? Like I got a raise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saved the president. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Jeez. I found it interesting that nobody knew he was there until he gave his inaugural, too. That's pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, sneaking into the capital that you're going to be the president of. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll get back into the the booth plan. I just wanted to add that in there to help you guys uh, realize that this was not the first attempt to take Lincoln's life or even kidnap him. Uh, there were multiple attempts, and uh, even after we died, we talked about how the, the grave robbers still tried to steal his body even then. So uh, this guy was uh, really a target of many people. Uh, he did not make a lot of people happy, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. All right. So on the evening of April 14th, 1865, the conspirators, and these are back with uh, Booth and the other conspirators, they met for the final time at 7 p.m., and John Wilkes Booth and his group of fellow conspirators gathered to plan the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln and his and other members. So we were talking about that earlier. Uh, he and his co-conspirators believed simultaneously assassinating Lincoln, Vice President Andrew Johnson, and Secre- Secretary of State William H. Seward the president and two of his possible successors would throw the U.S. government into disarray. So we were talking about that a little bit earlier, too. How uh, they were really trying to cut the head off the snake here. They were really trying to take out the leadership so that the, the North would be crippled and maybe they could reignite the Civil War. 
Were you guys going to say something? No, I was just saying that it's just like, uh, I, I was going to say, like, it's, uh, there was a much bigger plan than just to kill Lincoln. It was to, to, to destroy the entire federal government. Yeah, it was really to make the South rise, rise again, as cheesy as the saying is today. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so... That is interesting. It wasn't Lincoln only, but it was uh, Vice President Andrew Johnson and Seward. They went after both of those guys, too. Uh, Booth was assigned, or sorry, Booth assigned Lewis Powell to kill Secretary of State William H. Seward at his home. And uh, George Etzerot, yeah, I probably butchered that name, uh, was assigned to kill Vice President Andrew Johnson at the Kirkwood Hotel. And then David E. Harold to uh, guide Powell. Uh, because he was unfamiliar with Washington, D.C., to Seward's home and then meet with Booth in Maryland. Booth himself would obviously go after the president because as an actor and a well-known person in the community, he assumed that he would be the easiest person to get access to the presidential box without being searched for weapons. So uh, they really had their their roles assigned here, and uh, I found it interesting that uh, Booth was the one that went after Lincoln because uh, it's... Booth is the one that's associated with the Lincoln Lincoln assassination now, but really it could have been anybody. But they obviously they chose Booth because he had his role as an actor, and uh, being an actor, he had this established background uh, that nobody would really expect him to do something as terrible as he did that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he so used his fame and his like um, his his political figure. I mean, his. Uh, yeah, his figure in, in like society in order to to gain the trust of the president and the guards that get passed without any suspicion. Yeah. And I also like that uh oh sorry, Jack, you can go. Yeah, uh, I don't know if either of you have been to the uh the Lincoln Museum in Springfield, Illinois. Uh but uh, when I went there, they have obviously these walkthrough areas with a bunch of uh, wax figures of all different people throughout Lincoln's life. And uh, I learned a lot about how John Wilkes Booth was able to get in there and uh, get so close to the president that night just because he was as widely known as he was. Like, people didn't bat an eye when he said, oh, I'd like to go into the theater. Yeah, exactly. He had, he had his reputation established. He didn't have any problems getting in there. And yeah, I've actually been to that Lincoln Museum down in Springfield, uh, a lot of that stuff is really cool. If you guys want more information on uh, Lincoln and uh, a lot of the stuff that surrounds his life and the people he knew and the things he did, uh, Springfield is like more than the perfect place to go to. They have everything down there. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, that museum, uh, yeah, that was very educational. I actually like that a lot. It was cool, the displays they had up over there. But, yeah, Booth, right. had, a, Booth had his background. Nobody would have ex- expected him. And uh, as we see... That proved true, and he was able to assassinate Lincoln. So Booth planned to uh, he planned to shoot Lincoln at point blank range with his single shot Derringer, and then uh, he was going to stab Grant as well at Ford's Theater. They were all to strike simultaneously shortly after ten o'clock, and uh, Artsroll tried to withdraw from the plot actually before this, and uh, which to this point had only involved the kidnapping. Not murder, but uh, Booth actually pressured uh, Archerald to continue with the plan. So uh, he was having second guesses. He's like, nah, I don't know about this. I don't think I want to do it. <laughs> was Booth, what you say, the leader of the group? Oh, yeah. Booth was definitely the leader. Yeah. Because it seems like he, he really was like intent on putting this plan into play. Yeah, I think out of all the conspirators, he was the one dedicated to it the most. And that's probably also why he also chose to go for Lincoln. Besides his... Yeah, he seemed to have a vendetta against them. Yeah. Well, uh, he was an advocate for the South, I remember. So, it makes sense. Yeah. I'm sure he was very... He was, he was definitely not a fan of the Emancipation Proclamation. Oh, yeah. Like I said, that pissed a lot of people off. And, uh, you know, maybe it was one of those things that pissed off uh, Booth as well and led to Lincoln's assassination. It's not too far off. Definitely not. So 
Lewis Powell, uh, we were talking about earlier, was assigned to kill Secretary of State William H. Seward, who on April 5th had been thrown from his carriage and he was actually suffering at home and he was under a state of medical attention. So uh, Powell actually, Powell, sorry, he used this to his advantage and uh, he was actually able to sneak into the Seward household claiming to have medicine and uh, he made his way all the way upstairs. So because uh, because of Seward's condition, he kind of used it to his advantage, very much like Booth used his uh, background as an actor to an advantage to get to the presidential box. He had uh, he'd snuck into the Seward household and uh, he made his way upstairs like we were talking about. And uh, he actually knocked Fredward's, Frederick Seward, which was uh, his son, on the forehead unconscious after his gun had misfired. So he tried to shoot the guy. But his gun didn't work, so I just knocked him out. <laughs> and uh, he continued toward uh, towards William Seward's room. Although stabbing Seward and barely making it away, Seward actually, uh, his life was spared by his neck brace that uh, protected him against any more dangerous wounds. So I'm wondering wow, what that neck brace was made out of. <laughs> oh, yeah, he was attempted to be stabbed in the neck, but he was saved due to his neck brace. That's crazy. I wonder what that and was made Powell, out of that. And how was the one you said attempted to withdraw? Oh, no. Uh, no, that was uh, Archroll. I tried. Actually, yeah. Okay, sorry about that. No, uh, Powell was Powell was dedicated to it, and uh, he made it pretty far. And I think he he put up a good fight, especially since his freaking gun misfired and he had to knock out a. Uh, Seward's son. That's like the butt of his gun. <laughs> you didn't yeah, let that stop like him. And uh, mm-hmm. as we'll see later, uh, Artsrold was uh, definitely the opposite of that case. <laughs> if something went wrong, then uh, Artsrold is like, eh, whatever. <laughs> I found the I found this one interesting because I have read a, a book about the Lincoln assassination before. And uh, I think there's actually scenes where it describes a, where it describes Powell barely making it out of the house by I think jumping out of the window, smashing through the window and jumping down onto the street. That's crazy. So uh, yeah, Powell was dedicated to it easily, like Booth was. All right, let's get into Archeron. So uh. George Archerald was assigned to kill Vice President Andrew Johnson, and on April 14th, he uh, rented a room directly above Johnson's at the Kirkwood Hotel. Archerald was to go to Johnson's room at 10.15 p.m. and shoot him, but became drunk, and this is funny, this is where it gets funny, became drunk and wandered off through the streets, tossing his knife away at some point, and eventually making his way to the Pennsylvania Hotel around 2 a.m., where he obtained a room and went to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) He just just abandoned the plan. He's like, you know what? Nah, I'm going to just get drunk instead and go get a room. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that pissed Booth off. Oh, yeah, probably. (laughs) Come on, dude. (laughs) Come on, dude. Stick to the plan. God. Like I was saying, uh, Archerald was definitely the opposite case to Powell. Powell was de- very dedicated to it. Archerald was very nonchalant. That's that has uh that has some good humor in there. <laughs> All right. Uh, actually, uh, another thing about Archerald. Uh, some say that because Booth, he did get mad. He did get mad eventually at Archerald. Uh, some say that Booth had predicted this, and uh, he was actually going to go and try to kill, uh, try to kill Johnson himself after he killed Lincoln. So that point's interesting. I think he probably predicted Archerald being a, being a little slow in his end. So uh, he was actually going to go kill Johnson too after he killed Lincoln. I found that interesting. So how many? How many people would you say were behind the Lincoln assassinations? There were uh, six conspirators, uh, in, including Booth, but there were uh, there were several people along the way. 
like uh, there was Samuel Mudd, who uh, who was a household owner. And uh, after Booth, uh, we'll see you later, he jumped off the stage and uh, he broke his leg. He went to the Seward household. Or sorry, not the Seward household, the, the Mudd household. And uh, he got his leg fixed up by uh, Mudd's wife. And uh, Mudd protected him before he tried to go farther south. So uh, it really depends because uh, there were there were six, including or uh, not including Booth, who uh, or wait maybe maybe including Booth that tried to uh, plan the assassination of these people, and then uh, some other people along the way that helped them out. Uh, like you said, you said that Booth had broken his leg after assassinating President Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, we'll get into that. Okay. I mean, it's just interesting. It's interesting to me, like how did he get away? <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, John Wilkes Booth would be successful in assassinating President Abraham Lincoln, obviously, at uh, Ford's Theater in Washington D.C. while watching the play *Our American Cousin*. Booth snuck into the box and, at point blank range, shot Lincoln with a .44 caliber Derringer pistol. And uh, he wasn't able to stab Grant, but instead jumped 12 feet down onto the stage and shouted, Sic Semper Tyrannis. It means, uh, thus always the tyrants in Latin. And uh, followed with something like, the South will be avenged. And then uh, he made his way off after the Lincoln assassination. He should have rolled. Should have rolled. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I actually, I think he probably could have survived the fall, but the way that he landed with, uh, he was wearing boots too, that I'm sure that didn't help, but the way he landed on his boot on the ground, and uh, he like twisted his foot and he ended up breaking it. Yeah, that just amazes me. Like, how is he able to escape with a broken leg? Yeah, it's not an easy fall either. All right, hang on. All right, sorry, you guys got cut off there uh, at a technology thing on our end. But uh, getting back into it, the Lincoln assassination came as a shock, but some say that it was part of a far greater plan and that Booth had fled and nearly gotten away for 12 days, making the search for him the largest manhunt in history. It is believed that he was eventually caught in a barn that lit on fire and uh, burning in the building he ultimately died in it. The other conspirators were caught and hanged, thus ending their attempt to resurrect the South. However, other theories state to the contrary and suggest Booth may have even lived on after the Lincoln assassination and only played a small part in a far greater plan created by an infamous organization. Wow. So uh, that's where we get into uh, the Knights of the Golden Circle next. And we'll talk about that. Yeah. So uh, I'll mention this before we get into the Knights of the Golden Circle, but there's actually a, there's a theory. And uh, actually, I think it's definitely 100% fact because of all of the, the eyewitnesses to it. Uh, Booth and all the conspirators were actually KGC members. They were part of the, the Knights of the Golden Circle. So I they found that members? interesting. Yeah, all of them. So... This was oh, very much a KGC-planned action. Oh, wow. So it was interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, I think we'll we'll get into it a little bit more later. But the body that they found after the barn had burned down, uh, the doctor who had who studied the body said it looked nothing like Booth at all. It had like uh really? yeah, it had he had like red hair and uh he had a ton of very other noticeable distinct differences from Booth because uh Booth had uh Booth had dark black hair uh and he was very known for his dark black hair and the guy they found had red right. hair <laughs> and uh there were Wait, other that... things. That's interesting. So history has this uh stated as fact that he died in a barn, but um, what you're telling me is that the, uh, the body they found had many distinct features that were different from Booth himself. 
Yeah, it was not Booth. It was, it was not Booth. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. And, uh, sucks for all the other conspirators. They got hanged. <laughs> yeah. Brutal way to go. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I also found it interesting that this was the largest manhunt in history. In history, not just U.S. history, but, like, world history as a whole. So, uh, oh. Booth put up a good fight. And uh, I think he ultimately made it away. So what was the manhunt? Uh, was it like everyone, all, all people who could became bounty hunters? So pretty much after uh, after Booth has shot Lincoln, he uh, he fled. He fled Ford th- Ford's theater and uh, he made his way down to Mud's house like we were talking about earlier. So uh, after Booth had gotten away from the theater, uh, there were uh, Secret Service agents. And uh, yeah, kind of like what you said, bounty hunters who uh, who went after him and uh, tried to capture him because of the actions that he committed. And uh, there was a huge, there was a huge wanted reward for Booth and uh, his conspirators, and uh, that should obviously make sense. So yeah, after his after the assassination, he was declared a terrorist, and then he was uh, he a bounty was put on his head, and 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 even. Um, even um, uh, uh, people at that time, like not even not even soldiers or uh, a secret agents, those people were were set as bounty hunters or, or, or paid to give information regarding their uh, the night they were going to circle. Well, um, um, I, I I don't like to say bounty. I like to say reward because uh, those reward posters are more what we're talking about, and uh, it was mostly lead. By uh by secret service agents and members of the government, but yeah, there were uh there were other people who would try to figure out where Booth went and what happened and try to capture him as well. But uh, it was right, I'm sure there primarily were, uh, the government. There was yeah, I'm sure there were civilians who were trying to figure out where he went as well because people who obviously were maybe close to Lincoln or like like obviously loved his ideals and whatnot would want to want justice for him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. And uh, the Knights of the Golden Circle are, are pretty interesting as well. And we'll get into them and we'll talk about how, uh, not how Booth may have, but I think uh, I think he definitely was a KGC member himself. All right, so let's get into that. Go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. We're going to be talking about the Knights of the Golden Circle and their many influences throughout history. And... Uh... I think Jake would like to elaborate on who exactly was involved in the Knights of the Golden Circle and uh, what exactly they did. All right, yeah, let's jump right into it. Uh, this group was uh, really interesting, actually. So uh, this all started when, uh, in 1854, Freemasons Gorgas and Killian founded the organization known as the Knights of the Golden Circle in Cincinnati, Ohio. The KGC absorbed Masonic operatives and became the military ally to the Confederacy. They would travel to Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, the Mississippi River, the Gulf of Mexico, Maryland, and Virginia, opening chapters and gaining new recruits. Castles were opened in Jackson, Mississippi, and Albert Pike even opened one in New Orleans. Dang, that's a lot of places. This is a very big organization from what I can see here. Yeah, they had a wide-spanning influence for sure. Not only in the South, but also in the North. And that's why uh, it's not too uh, it's not too far stretching of an idea that even John Wilkes Booth was a KGC member because we knew that he had uh, sympathies for the South. He was very much a Southern sympathizer. And yeah, and from what you told me, more often than not, they're actually uh, traveling in the North. So would you say that their influence was more more prevalent in the North than it was even in the South? Um, to a, to, maybe to a sense. I think uh, they definitely had a, a good influence in the North because uh, they were even uh, able to throw off some Union soldiers and Union infantry members in, uh, in some of the early battles of the Civil War. And maybe that's why we saw that most of those early battles of the Civil War were actually won by the Confederacy because uh, KGC was able to throw the Union off the trail. Yeah, 
Ah, so the 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 KGC would uh, provide the unit with misinformation and uh, and like give them false locations and names. Yeah, pretty much. Anything that they could do to uh, throw off the Union and try to win the Civil War for the South, they really did it. Wow. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, but they had a huge Masonic influence. This was very much a Poseidon-Freemasonic order. They had uh, heavy influences from the Freemasons. And uh, if you know uh, some of the background about Albert Pike, Albert Pike became the one of the highest ranking Scottish Rite Freemasons in the in the United States Scottish Rite Southern jurisdiction. Oh wow. So they so they're very connected with the Freemasons as well. Yeah, Albert Pike was uh one of their founders and he was also one of the highest ranking Freemasons. So it's interesting to see that connection there. <laughs> so pretty much the objective of the KGC was to annex a golden circle of territories. In Mexico, Central America, and the Caribbean as slave states, obviously, because they were fighting for the South. And uh, as, abolition, as abolitionism in the United States increased, members proposed a confederation, makes sense, right, of slave yeah. states south of the Mason-Dixie line. And uh, the goal was to increase the power of the southern slaveholding upper class and create a new independent country separate from the United States. We already know that the Confederacy was already trying to do that, so that part makes sense, that they were trying to make their own country and uh, south of the Mason-Dixie line. If you don't know where the Mason-Dixie line is, Mason-Dixie line is, it's pretty much right up below Pennsylvania and uh, above Virginia. It's this, uh, it's this very straight line that's not too far from Washington, D.C., and so, uh, it's actually pretty far north if you look at it geographically. What were you gonna say? I was just uh, you were saying that they were their goal was to uh, create an independent country separate from the United States. So was this was this uh, group uh, influence prevalent during the Civil War or before the Civil War? Even was it prevalent before the Civil War? Very much so. It definitely was. Uh, uh, it, there's uh, rumors that uh, the KGC may have even started the Civil War, and that uh, oh, wow. and that the president and before uh, Lincoln, I forget his name. I you guys can go fact check me to look at that name. But the president before Lincoln was a KGC member, really, as well as being a Freemason. And so he may have screwed the whole system up for Lincoln. And uh, showing that the KGC played a huge part in even starting the Civil War. Oh, wow, that's very interesting. I didn't know. I, I had no idea about the, uh, that. The previous president was a KGC member. That's what I'm saying. The connections between all of these groups and all this stuff that goes on in the background that people don't really look at it. It takes a very important part in history and when studying history because. Uh, you don't know a lot of this stuff, and then once you start re researching it and actually seeing how uh, how far-reaching this kind of stuff goes, it's uh, it really surprises you. Yeah. So I want to talk about the, the Golden Circle itself, because obviously they're called the Knights of the Golden Circle. But what exactly is this Golden Circle? So uh, pretty much this Golden Circle was everything uh, geographic-wise from uh, what the South already had that was that broke away from the Union – and then it reached into uh, Mexico, the the some of the northern countries of South America, Cuba, and uh, pretty much all of the Caribbean islands. They wanted to ally with and make a new country because as the north was expanding, they knew that they needed to expand as well. And the only place that they could logically expand to would be farther farther south. And so that's why they would that, that that's why they wanted to ally with these countries. So it's pretty interesting. I mean, yeah, that's, um, that's definitely something I, I, to take into consideration. That's a, that's a lot of territory. That's almost like, a, that's a good percentage of the new world that they wanted to have control over. So how big would you say that their, um, their influence was at the time? In the South, their influence was pretty heavy. Um, 
in the north they had a they had a good amount of influence but uh as far as uh actually creating their golden circle i'm not sure like uh their influence in uh mexico or cuba and the caribbean islands uh i'm not too sure on but uh, obviously it didn't end up working out so it couldn't have been that good yeah, so this was a secret organization, much like the Freemasons, but it's but it very much an I, offshoot of the Freemasons, actually. Very much so. so yeah, yeah. So, so they, um, their organization was uh, practiced in secrecy and prevalent in most northern uh, states without any knowledge of their existence. Yeah. So, uh, well, I think pretty much like any fraternity, uh, they might they may have been uh, known to uh, some members, but to other members and other people, they were very much a mystery. And uh, that's with any secret society. Obviously, uh, there is piece of people who uh, know the Masons very well, the Freemasons. Uh, but then there's also people who uh, don't understand them, and so they make a huge accusations against them because they don't understand what they what they stand for or what their their goal is so with any secret society uh it's more so a society with secrets because uh a lot of the people in the south knew that they were meeting in these barns and whatever called these chapters they were like uh pretty much people's farm buildings that they would go in and they would meet in and they they would discuss their plans and what they wanted to do and uh people knew they meet People knew they met there, but they didn't know exactly what they did behind the closed doors. I mean, yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy to me to think of that uh, a society with such big influence and power uh, across the entire nation could be so secret and so well uh, hidden. Well, think about the Freemasons. Uh, they're they're an offshoot of the Freemasons. So Freemasons are all over the world, and uh, I'm going to probably do another episode on them, so I won't get into them too much. But uh. A lot of famous people throughout history have been Freemasons, and uh, a lot of people don't really realize it. Even uh, tons of the founding fathers and themselves were Freemasons. So the KGC being an offshoot of the Freemasons themselves weren't really that much different. Yeah, I mean, that's, I know that's crazy. Obviously, as far as, uh, as famous members go, uh, I'd probably say Albert Pike, John Lux Booth. Uh, I'm, tr- I'm forgetting his name here. Jesse James was uh, a KGC leader, famous outlaw. There were uh, a ton of pretty big names on their list. All right. So, so when oh, was sorry. the KGC um, founded? KGC was founded, uh, it depends on where you're talking about geographically. Because, uh, like any origin story, uh, there's uh, people who attest to uh, one certain date, but then they're like, oh, no, no, no. There was influence that we see uh, spreading far back in time. But uh, really, uh, I think it started in the 1850s, because we were talking about in 1854, uh, when Gorgas and Killen, they founded, uh, not the KGC itself, but they founded uh, they founded a chapter in Cincinnati, Ohio. And so, uh, I think like anything, it depends on geographically what you're talking about, but the order itself, definitely, uh, pre-Civil War, probably 1840s or 50s. Yeah. I mean, it would make sense that the origin, I mean, that their origin and their founding would be difficult to, to, to get track of. Yeah. Exactly. So, according to an anonymous author in his publication, Authentic Exposition of the KGC, or Knights of the Golden Circle, in 1861, he said that members of the inner temple of the Knights of the Golden Circle are to be scattered all through, all through Missouri, Kentucky, Virginia, and Maryland for the purpose of harassing and injuring the friends and soldiers of the Union in every way they can. If they can use poison successfully, they will do it. If they can, by false statements, so direct the movements of United States troops as to cause them to lose, as to cause them loss or defeat, they will do that. But one thing above all others, some of them are to distinguish themselves for if he can, that is the assassination of the abolition president or Abraham Lincoln. Wow. So that reveal is like their, their whole goal right there. 
everything so we've been talking about, pretty much. So it's a, it's a very violent association. Mm-hmm. So they they were set on on, on poisoning and 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 uh, misleading the, the the union. Yeah, exactly for the purpose leaders. of harassing and injuring the friends and the soldiers of the union. Wow. So anything they could do to uh, to take down the union or to uh, cripple the union, take them out, they did it, or they tried to do it. And uh, I found this interesting here. I think this is probably another good piece of evidence that John Wilkes Booth was a KGC member. Uh, pretty much they said at the end that the ultimate goal was to distinguish himself, or if he can, that is the assassination of abolition president, or Abraham Lincoln. And Booth obviously did that. Yeah. So at this time, they they didn't know that the abolition president would be Abraham Lincoln. They just knew that the abolition pres- president was yet to yet to come, yet to show himself. I think they may have been purposely hinting at uh, at Abraham Lincoln, but they didn't explicitly say his name for uh, obvious reasons. They they wouldn't want something like that getting out. <laughs> So, I I I, th- I do think that they're actually referring directly to Abraham Lincoln because it says in 1861. So you got to remember, oh, right, right, yeah, the Lincoln was Lincoln up. was inaugurated in 1861. But he didn't. Uh, he didn't but they didn't call him Lincoln. Executive order. Yeah, they, they didn't he call didn't, him Lincoln. So that's the interesting part. Um, was was the Emancipation Proclamation uh, present in 1861? No, that was further down the road. Remember, in 1863. Yeah, so that, that's why that's my point. That's, uh, I'm saying, like, maybe I'm, I'm sure the idea. The I'm sure the idea was around because uh, Lincoln was probably seen more so yeah. as an abolition president, but his views developed over time, and he wouldn't really take action like he would with the Emancipation Proclamation until 1863. So his views, I think, were pretty clear, but they weren't as developed as they would be progressing through the war. So ultimately, this order, which was essentially a Southern Masonic movement, like we were talking about, they were very influenced by the Freemasons. Uh, Southern Masonic movement, as we'll see, their ties played a profound part in Confederate actions during the Civil War and with covert operations to not only hide Confederate treasure, but also in planning the Lincoln assassination, creating and connecting with other secret societies, and looking for vast wealth to rebuild their Southern Empire. So several of their plans there that ultimately played a huge role and uh, has a huge background in a lot of civil war history that a lot of people don't realize. So yeah, they played a huge role in uh, influence history, but they also, um, <clears throat> they also had operations to conceal their Confederate treasure of, would that be the treasure of the military? Um, well, you gotta think that uh, like any, like any country, they had a treasury. But uh, this treasury really grew, as we'll talk about later on, through uh, through several means, through uh, through mines that supposedly they went after, through uh, mythical cities of of gold, and uh, other means that the especially with their economy, they would start building stuff. They had a uh, close ties with England. There's a uh, there's references in uh, National Treasure actually, and uh, I'm not saying this that this is a primary source you should be listening to, but. Uh, National Treasure too. They hint that uh, even Albert Pike and uh, Queen Elizabeth had connections, and uh, that they were interchanging, and that they were that the England at the time was even trying to cripple the North. And uh, it's because uh, England needed the cotton that was uh, that was being produced by the South. Obviously, if you guys know uh, some basic Civil War history, you'll know that the the major staple crop at the time, especially for the South, was cotton. So England really needed that. So I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to see the connections there. That they not only uh, they had influences they're trying to spread in the Americas, but even across the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, 
uh, ties with England. Yeah. All right, so that's a that's a basic introduction to the to the KGC, and then we'll get into some of the other stuff. All right, we'll wrap this up, and then next week we'll have another episode on a historical subject, and uh, it should be a continuation of the series. This will be a three-part series, and I, I really hope you guys are enjoying this so far. It was a lot of research, but I think it's a lot of very interesting information as well that we're going through. Uh, <clears throat> a little bit towards the end of this episode, I don't know if you guys realize, but uh, Jack had to cut out because uh, he had some stuff to do with his family. But uh, I'm glad he was able to come on, and uh, hopefully we can have more people on the podcast, and we can have a have a good have a good group of people talking about some history and uh, sharing it with you guys. Yeah, I think this uh, nice new podcast. We're hoping to broaden the range of uh, people we get to speak on this podcast. Yeah, exactly. See, uh, see how many people we can get. Uh, as usual, I would like to give a shout out to uh, Anchor, our podcasting service. That's been a miracle in making these episodes, and uh, we really couldn't have done it without it. It's been a, it's been a good source besides a few technology issues here and there. But uh, if you guys have ever wanted to make your own podcast, this is a really great service to do that, and I highly recommend it. Uh, more importantly, I'd like to give a shout out to you guys as my listeners as we uh, continue to embark on this podcast. And for those who have liked and been following the Facebook page already. Uh, as it continues to grow, we really thank all of you guys and uh, got some new people to like the page and uh, the support and the growth that we see on the, on the page uh, helps our podcast because without you guys, we really couldn't make and do what we do. So I'll list off some names here. Um, Dylan Donnelly. We talked about him last time. Uh, we have to get him on one of these podcasts. Yeah, I'm trying to get Dylan on here. We were, get, we were talking to him today. We were trying to get him on today, but shouldn't be another day. Dylan's a cool guy. I think you guys will like him. Um, Kelly Olson. Try, I'm reading through the list here. Um, Jacqueline Aradetti. And Anna Svila. And Wally Marshall. So thank you to all of you guys as the uh, Facebook page continues to grow. Your support, like I said, uh, it really makes it really makes the podcast. And uh, without you guys as an audience, uh, there, there wouldn't be a podcast. And uh, I, I think I've been having fun, too, with it. And uh, I don't know about you, Ian. But oh, yeah, I, I'm in, I enjoy these podcasts very much. It's, it's, been a, it's been a good journey. I like it so far. And... Uh, Continue making some more episodes. Uh, we're gonna do another episode on the Confederate treasure, and uh, like I said, that was recommended to us by uh, one of our followers. And uh, if you guys again have any topics you want us to talk about, just feel free to ask us on the Facebook page, and uh, we could very well make a podcast out of it, like we did for this series. But after this series. We're going to move on and do another interesting series, which uh, I think Ian might particularly enjoy. And that's going to be about Shakespeare, Sir Francis Bacon, Henry Neville, and uh, Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson, yeah. yeah. And how they're all connected through uh, conspiracy with the Rosicrucians, or at least that's what uh, some theorists like to think. And uh, I think that one will be really interesting, too. And uh, Ian might be one of the, the forefronts for the research on that one because uh, he's done a lot of stuff through school with uh, Ben Johnson. You want to tell him what you're doing? Uh, there's this uh, yearly yearly project that we work on a portfolio regarding this single author. Until we know so much about them, we can give a, a speech for about half an hour. Oh, yeah. And uh, especially for this episode... Because uh, I'm doing the same project. My author was Mark Twain. And uh, Ed, we'll, you'll see in the next episode. But I learned a lot about Mark Twain too. And uh, some of the connections that he had. So after this series. Uh, Ian will learn some of those same things. And uh, it should be interesting. Keep them rolling out for you guys. Uh, you guys are all stuck inside. So if you don't have anything else to do. You should keep listening to the podcast. And uh, we'll keep making them for you. It's been a it's been a fun project. All right, you got anything else before we wrap this up, Ian? 
Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Maybe learned something. I know I did. Uh, but other than that, thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys uh, in the next one. Yep. All being said, thanks, guys, and have a nice week. This is Jacob. Yeah. All right, and Carpe Diem. Carpe Diem.